Welcome to Indie Cider, where we go beyond the game and meet the developers behind today's indie hits. Welcome to Indie Cider, where I play indie games and then interview the developers. My name is Ken Gagney, and this week I'm playing Plying Man, a portmanteau of Platform and Hangman by Aaron Von Ley. I found this game through a list on GameInformer.com of the top 15 free indie games you need to play right now. I played the embedded YouTube trailer and was shocked to see that it opened with the boot-up sequence of an Apple II computer. This really appealed to me because besides being the host of this podcast, I'm also the editor-in-chief of Juiced.gs, the last remaining print publication dedicated to the Apple II computer. I also co-founded the only monthly Apple II podcast, Open Apple, and I attend an annual Apple II convention in Kansas City. So a game inspired by the Apple II was definitely playing to my interests. That boot-up sequence dove right into an aesthetic that is drawn right from that 8-bit monochromatic era, because everything in the game is either green or black. Your main character is wholly green, and he is playing against a black spacescape with a few green stars in the background. In this 2D game, you can move your character left and right and jump from platform to platform, and each platform is composed of blocks of letters. As you stand on a specific block, you can press the space bar to select it. And if, just like in Wheel of Fortune or Hangman, that letter is part of that level's puzzle, it will highlight, and your selection will be rewarded by the screen zooming out a little bit. If the letter you selected is not part of that level's puzzle, then the screen will zoom in a little bit. If the screen zooms in all the way, it's game over, and you have to start the level over. Now, you may think that you almost solved it the first time because, hey, you got five out of six letters before running out of zooms. So the next time you play, well, you know what the first five letters are. Wrong. The word can actually change between attempts. So even though there are only 25 levels, there are actually about 80 words in the game. Of course, it's more than just moving across a barren landscape and selecting the letters you want. That would just be Hangman. This is a platformer. There are some very tricky and difficult jumps, and there are some enemies to avoid who will take away some of your zooms if you come into contact with them. And there are also some puzzle elements where you can see the letter that you need, but you don't know how to get there from where you are. Sometimes you must make judicious use of bombs, almost like Load Runner, to dig down to the letter that you need. After each level, there will be a few lines of text presenting the game's narrative, usually incorporating the word that you just solved. It's a bit of a bizarre narrative, to be honest. Something about a boy and a girl falling in love and the boy going off to war, I believe. I haven't finished all 25 levels, so I'm not quite sure where the story's going. But I do dig the aesthetic. As I mentioned, the monochromatic look is really elegant and very retro. And also retro is the soundtrack, which sounds like it could be chiptune or a synthesizer. It's available on CD Baby, and there are some free samples on SoundCloud as well. Links will be in the show notes. If you want to blast through this game, you can probably do it in a little over an hour. And you'll definitely get your money's worth, because when you download the game from itch.io, you have the option to pay for it or not. In my case, I chose to download it for free, and then after I decided whether or not I liked the game, I went back and paid what I thought it was worth. The following interview with the creator was one I went into a little bit more blind than usual, because I couldn't find anything about previous games that he had done. And so you'll hear in this interview that I was surprised to discover that this isn't just someone who is emulating the Apple II that he grew up with, but someone who is actively enthusiastic about the platform. I thought I already knew everybody who fit that description. What a pleasant surprise to find out that there are even more than I realized. You can find the game at plangman.com, that's P-L-A-N-G-M-A-N dot com. 
You can find this episode and YouTube footage of me playing the game paired with the interview at IndieCider.net, where you can also find links to our iTunes feed, where I encourage you to leave a review, and to our Twitter account, at GameBits, where you can provide feedback on this game, let me know if you liked it or not, and also suggest future titles to cover on this here podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and on with the interview. Today I have the honor of speaking with the developer and creator of Playing Man, that being Mr. Aaron Von Ley. Hello, Aaron. Hi. How are you today? Well, pretty good. Thanks for giving me some of your time. So I've been playing Playing Man, and as I mentioned, it jumped out at me from this list on Game Informer of 15 free indie games you need to play right away due to its very retro-inspired aesthetic. The website says this is a long-lost game. How long has this game been lost? <laughs> well, I guess it's, you know, on, on, on one level, it's just uh, has to do with the way it looks and, and feels, but uh, it has been something I've been working on for a while. So the initial idea actually started back in 1999. I was taking an introductory programming class, and we had to do a hangman game. And I ended up doing something where uh, there's a character on a bridge made out of letter blocks. You know, you would basically end up with gaps that you couldn't jump over and things like that. It was That was the basic idea. And the even back then, the there was a little bit of Apple II influence because the character I used was based on Captain Goodnight. I don't know if you've played Captain Goodnight, but that was the kind of initial prototype, which was almost, I guess, 20 years ago now. Wow. And then uh, in like 2009, 2010, I started learning Unity and doing some uh, game prototypes and things. And this was one of the ideas that I pulled out, dusted off and started playing around with and around the same time we were moving and had gotten an old apple II uh from my parents and my son was sitting down and playing it and it was um it had one of the uh phosphor screen monitors so the green monochrome and i was just like wow that looks so amazing and i was just really struck with that look and i'd i'd been toying with you know how what's the main character going to be who what's the look going to be and when i saw that i was just like this is what i want this is what i want it to look like so that's how that came about i never have actually played myself the uh game captain goodnight and the islands of fear <laughs> it came out in 1995 from broderbun i really thought that your main character's protagonist was based on the olympic decathlon athlete from microsoft <laughs> yeah so i actually didn't i hadn't seen that uh i've never played that game i, I hadn't seen that runner until a couple of days ago, but yeah, it, it is a little bit similar, but yeah, the, uh, the character is not captain Goodnight, but the, when I, um, there was an artist who actually did the, the run animation. I had given him some instructions that weren't exactly clear. And his first thing that he, he did, you know, wasn't what I was looking for. And finally I was like, Oh, like I can just say, look at this, you know, screen footage of captain Goodnight. This is the kind of look I'm, I'm going for. So that, yeah, it was in definitely influenced by uh, Captain Goodnight. One of the things that really caught me about the game, even before I saw the aesthetic, was the trailer, because you show the game booting up in an actual Apple II. So <laughs> so you're quite blatant with your inspirations, which I love. Yeah, and that Apple II is actually, actually captured that footage off of the Apple II I grew up playing. So it's, I don't know, very personal, I guess you could say. That's amazing. You still have that Apple II? I do, yeah. It's sitting over... Uh, on a desk not far from where I'm, I'm sitting right now. 
Oh, that's excellent. There are a ton of Apple II users spread all throughout the country. I'm sure there are some in your neck of the woods. I'll connect you after the podcast. Yeah, sure. So this game is inspired by some of the aesthetics of Captain Goodnight and maybe uh, subconsciously or even inadvertently the Olympic decathlon runner. Were there any other sort of retro games or Apple II games that may have had an influence on your design, either the aesthetic or even the mechanics? For example, the the narrative, in a way, sort of reminds me of Braid, which is not an Apple II game, but by now I think it's old enough to be retro. <laughs> yeah, so, so I was definitely influenced by the Apple II, but I don't know if there's a ton of direct things I can point to, but when I was growing up, we actually, I didn't have uh, game consoles. My friends did, so I played the NES and the Super Nintendo and Sega and things like that at, at friends' houses, but when I was uh, younger, we just had the Apple II at home, so my sort of gaming sensibilities were really shaped by the games I played on that platform, and in addition, it, w- it wasn't just Apple II games, but it was a very particular set of Apple II games that um, we had a family friend. He was probably around seven years older than I was. Who he must have had access to bulletin boards or something, and he came over at one point and just copied a whole bunch of uh, Apple II software. So those were the games I had. I, you know, they were like handwritten labels or you know with a little label maker, and it was um, so playing games was like this process of discovery where. I had no idea what these games were. You sometimes just knew the title, which was sometimes wrong. Actually, <laughs> things were mislabeled. So you'd like boot this thing up. And half the fun of the of playing games was like discovering what was on this disc and how does it work? And, you know, we had no manuals or anything. So, you know, I did have some games that were, I guess, legitimate and purchased. But most of the games were just things that I had gotten from this family friend of ours. So that whole process of when I first was, you know, doing the prototyping, I really hadn't played a lot of modern games and I, I wasn't really familiar. I was kind of clueless about a lot of the changes that had happened in terms of uh, making things easier, having tutorials, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So the I, I released an initial prototype of just the basic, you know, platforming and hangman combined mechanic. There was no story. There was, it was very minimal, uh, but in uh, like late 2010, it didn't save your progress. Like if you got a game over, you had to start the game over because that's what I was familiar with from when I was a kid and also from other systems, you know, like the NES. So there was a whole bunch of things that I did just, you know, sort of out of cluelessness that were influenced by my experience. And, you know, I, I got a lot of player feedback and improved things, but definitely like the difficulty level, the, uh, and just the, the look and feel and just, I think some of the sensibility of, you know, as I added the story and other things, just the sense of fun and creativity and kind of doing a lot with minimal elements, like Load Runner is a, is a great example of that. You just have a small number of elements and you create, you know, incredible variety and, and gameplay out of those elements. So uh, those are some of the ways, you know, the story, I didn't play a lot of text adventures when I was younger. Uh, I, I did really enjoy adventure games. King's Quest VI is probably one of my favorite games of all time. So I always loved things that had a story, and I, but I didn't get familiar with text adventures until uh, actually watching the the documentary that came out a few years ago about text adventures, and um, that that was kind of inspirational too. Just you know, using uh, text and creating things in the player's imagination without actually creating them on screen is a is a really 
uh, neat things. The documentary you're referring to, is that Get Lamp by Jason Scott? Yes, that's the one. Yeah, that is a seminal work. He really did an amazing piece with that. And there is actually an annual Apple II users convention in Kansas City where he gave the keynote a couple of years ago. Cool. Is that a Kansas Fest? That is it exactly. You're familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been, but I've heard about it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the registration for this year's event just opened up, and I believe Jason will be there again. So one of the things you added to Plangman over the course of its evolution was a narrative. And as I've been playing the game, I've died often enough that I've discovered I'm not always solving the same puzzle on every level. And it seems like the narrative is based on what puzzle I solve. So how many different branching narratives are there in this game? There's actually just one. You're not the only person. It's it's funny with some recent changes where uh, that I've made to ensure that don't repeat and things like that. A number of people have gotten the impression, I think, that the the narrative is branching, but it actually isn't. It's just different words taken from the one narrative. So hopefully that's not too disappointing. But <laughs> but that's uh, yeah, that's how it works. But there are you know in the twenty five or so levels, there's around eighty different words. So you know hopefully that and there's you know I, I may be adding more in the future. We'll see, but. You know, that's one way to hopefully make it fun to replay and, you know, create a variety of the uh, experience of playing it over time. And it was a pleasant surprise. When I died the first time and I started, had to start over a level, I'm like, okay, I already know what the first three out of the five letters are. So I just went to select those and they were wrong. I'm like, wait, they were right a minute ago. <laughs> you know, I was not expecting that level of replayability and it was quite welcome. Cool. So there's that narrative that we talked about obviously the name of the game plang man is a combination of platform and hangman because there's a lot of running around and jumping but there's also a good deal of puzzling going on here i can't just go right from point a to point b once i know what the letters are i need to figure out how to get there and where to use my bombs judiciously and how to get to the letters even though i can see them plainly on the screen the path is not obvious Mm -hmm. so why call it plang man not like Playing Manzer when it's so there's a lot of things to learn there too. Uh, well, I'll have to consider that for the sequel, maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's definitely a, a puzzle, strong puzzle element, but uh, yeah, I didn't think about working that, trying to work that into the the name of the game. It's an important part of the game, though, and one that sometimes has me completely stuck. You've taken what I consider to be an unusual measure in which you provide a walkthrough for your own game. You don't say what the words are in each level because those rotate, but you generally say how to get from point A to point B, and most developers don't spoil their own games that way. So why did you choose to provide that supplement to your game? Huh. Yeah. I I guess it comes down to the fact that different people play differently. So some people want to figure everything out themselves. Other people, if they get stuck, they'll just abandon the game or you know, stop, uh, they'll lose interest or something. So, you know, I think it would have been cool if somebody who enjoyed the game had created a walkthrough or something, but I've also been making changes frequently based on player feedback. So even if someone had done that, it, it may have been out of date uh, by this time. So I think it's just, you know, I was, I would get questions from people uh, who were stuck on things and instead of just, you know, sending one-off replies and things like that, I decided to just, document it and and that way people who were curious if they got stuck and wanted to use a walkthrough they could access it and if if not they could keep trying to figure it out themselves but um, it's also a way you know to 
help people who, you know, there's different players of different abilities and, and some people are, you know, it's kind of in the middle between like a pretty, you know, a pretty difficult platformer and a, and a casual game. So some people find it pretty challenging and other people, I think, you know, they're like, well, it's moderately difficult, but, um, you know, they're able to figure it out without using any hints or anything. And it was just a way of helping, uh, support a wider variety of players who might be interested in playing it. Oh, that's very cool. You want to make the game accessible. You don't want people to get frustrated unless they can sense some progress. Yeah, or if they like, you know, the getting frustrated and then pounding their head and eventually figuring it out. You know, some some people enjoy the, that sense of accomplishment when you push past a point of confusion or not being able to progress. Right. You mentioned that you wanted to keep the walkthrough updated because the game has evolved due to player feedback. The game originally was released in November, and here we are in February. It's already at version 1.6, which, unless you're using Google Chrome's numbering system, is actually a lot of evolution in a short amount of time. How has the game changed since its original release in November? So the, the biggest thing that changed was uh, the uh, the punishment reward system. So the... Uh, the initial prototype that I released back in 2010, uh, you know, which was very simplified, didn't have the, the story, the the physics and the word puzzles were sort of separate. There was physics puzzles with uh, regular blocks, and then there was the word guessing with letter blocks. That game was was pretty well received, and uh, it ended up getting quite a few plays on on Congregate and getting picked up by some gaming press. So. Uh, as I worked on the improvements over the, the last few years, just kind of, you know, I guess you could say clandestinely or <laughs> just, uh, you know, I would show it to friends or send it to some people. And one of the points of feedback that I was getting was that it was uh, people were having the experience that, that you had when uh, when resetting, except in the opposite. So initially there was just one word for each level. I hadn't taken the time to, you know, I was just kind of trying to, prototype out the basic paths so i just had one word and people discovered pretty quickly that hey if i if i die or if i reset yeah there's actually no no forced resets either so people would discover hey if i reset i can uh i know exactly what letters to guess you know i can i can run through guess a few random things reset and then now i've gained some information so i sort of overreacted to that and i ended up making the minimum zoom level really harsh and making it so that if you uh if you reset, you didn't get your zooms back and stuff like that. And so the, the initial, and then, Oh, and then I, you know, I also had the, the brilliant move of making those changes and then not thinking to play test them or send them to anyone. It was so, so I actually released it with those, with those changes in place. And uh, it was interesting because I put it on uh, the, the new version on congregate and it was, you know, a totally different reception than, than the prototype I had done a few years ago. And it wasn't even like people were telling me what they hated about it. It was just like, why am I getting one star ratings and nobody's leaving any comments? Like what's going on? So I had to follow up with some of the people who, uh, who liked the previous version or who liked, you know, the, what I had done with the new version, uh, but had feedback on it. And also I did some play testing as well. And just was like, okay, I started realizing what some of the issues were. And so it actually took a lot of iteration. I mean, it might sound kind of obvious now that it's, it's landed, but it took a lot of iteration to really nail that down uh, that, okay, when you, 
uh, reset, you you know typically will get a different word. There's some levels that may only have one word, but and uh, and there's forced reset. So if you're zoomed in all the way, you can't just. It's not like free to just run around and and guess randomly, which is what was happening previously. So it's like some pretty basic stuff. There was other things like uh, improving the random randomization of where correct letters are located and some things like that where people felt like it was too predictable. Uh, in certain cases, they would sort of re- remember, oh, this is where, it, you know, it's uh, there's always a correct letter in this place. So that was that was the biggest thing that required iteration. The, the second piece is just uh, the difficulty curve of the initial levels. Like I've really ended up making those a lot easier uh, and a lot more gradual of an introduction to the basic mechanics um you know and and that's based off play testing and just feedback from people and also looking at statistics on on congregate and seeing where people abandon the game and okay if you see a huge spike and you know level three it's like okay what <laughs> what's going on there and uh gradually that's it's, it seems to have smoothed out but it's always surprising you know the things you don't expect that can be difficult for people because you're just so close to it and so familiar with it. And uh, so it's really great getting outside perspective and especially from people who are not people who play a lot of games because those people tend to, to not have a lot of trouble with the initial levels, but sometimes people got, you know, could get really confused with, uh, with, with things that were just really surprising. But when you thought about it, it's like, yeah, I could, that totally makes sense. Like I can understand why you may have thought that or, why that was frustrating you know one of the classic things is like in the second level you're supposed to push a block and um people would uh they would get confused about like how do i get up to the next level and i was just like why why is this so hard and then i uh, i had a, a few people who tried it and the first thing they would do is uh they would drop the block and run to the left because there were arrows pointing in that direction. The arrows were supposed to indicate push the block, but people would just run that way. They couldn't get up, so then they would run back to the right. And they would end up accidentally pushing the block to the right instead of the left and then knocking it off into the abyss and then, <laughs> and then basically getting stuck. And so uh, if you look at the game now, that level is basically set up so you can push it either direction and you cannot push that block so, you know, into the abyss and lose it. Uh, it's basically set up so you hopefully fall into the pit of success one way or the other. So those are some examples of, of things that I've had to change. You mentioned being inspired by watching your son play on the old Apple II. Has your son played Plang Man? Yeah, yeah. My two oldest kids, uh, son and daughter, both enjoy playing it. So yeah, they've they've done some play testing for me. And they've given it the thumbs up? Yeah, they enjoy it. They, they uh, yeah, it's a pretty good gauge. You know, my son is slightly more experienced with playing games like this using the keyboard controls and things. And my daughter's slightly less experienced, but she really, you know, enjoys it as well. So it's kind of a nice test of different uh, abilities when they try something out. Yeah, they they, uh, definitely have enjoyed the game. Nice. Now, the game obviously has a great aesthetic. I was also really impressed by the soundtrack. I love the tunes, which are all available on CD Baby. There will be a link in the show notes. And you list on your CD Baby website what the various instruments and tools that you use to create the soundtrack. So those tools are not things that you just happen to have lying around the house, like GarageBand uh, is something everybody has, but the other stuff is a little bit more complex. 
So you've obviously crafted other tunes before. What approach did you go with to make the Plang Man soundtrack unique? Like, what were you trying to develop that was different from a tune you might make for something else? Well, so the initial prototype that I released in 2010, I uh, got permission to use some chiptune music from some really great artists, uh, and people really loved the music. But for the for the sort of final version or the next iteration, I wanted to do the music myself. And I was looking for a different sound, something that was more analog rather than purely digital and sort of evoked. Um, I, I just think of it as the sounds of my childhood when I, you know, I, I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do for the music, but I, uh, I ended up coming across the uh, Arturia uh, Sem V, Oberheim Sem V uh, virtual synth. And when I heard the sounds, it was just like, uh, this, it was just like hearing my my childhood. It was like just reminiscent of, you know, those sounds that I uh, remember as a kid on TV, on the radio, you know, various places in movies. So I decided to use that, and that was really really fun to play around with. And just uh, to, they've done an amazing job with creating something that really captures, uh, I think, in my opinion, pretty well the the analog sound. I, you know. Uh, Typically, I haven't always been a big fan of, uh, you know, virtual like emulation of things. But uh, in this case, they seem to have have nailed it pretty well. I actually started uh, working on the music before I had the story, before I had any. It was very early on. It was like in 2012, I think. I actually created the first song, which is the last song in the game. Um, and it just sort of evoked the feeling that I wanted the the game to convey, I guess. And, uh, yeah, just continued, you know, I have a full-time job. I've got, you know, married and I have kids. And so I had to work on the game and the music and everything else sort of here and there, you know, an, an hour or two here and there, some pretty long periods of time of, of not working on it. So doing it electronically was, was easy in that regard without having to set up microphones and that kind of thing. And then, uh, it was also just really fun to, to experiment and discover things and try to recreate some of the the sounds and the feelings that I uh, remember as a kid. So I, I would say, you know, in general, it's just kind of uh, cinematic was the, the feel I was going for, but there's definitely, you know, elements of synth pop and new wave uh, music and whatnot thrown in there as well. So just like the game itself, it combines a lot of different elements. Yeah. So I found this game, as I mentioned, through a Game Informer post, which linked to the Itch.io page for the game. And I, unfortunately, have not had many games on this podcast from that platform. A lot of them come from Steam. In fact, there are times when I don't know what game to feature next, so I'll just go trolling through the Steam list to find something that's new and indie. Perhaps I should be spending more time on Itch.io. What made you choose that platform to release your game on? I guess, yeah, it wasn't like some necessarily, you know, deeply thought out decision. It was, I guess, a little bit of a, at some point last year, I sent the game, an early build of the game to uh, GOG, and it got rejected. They they said, I think it said something along the lines of it, it was lacking in uh, production quality or something like that. So I don't know if I used too, too few colors or something. <laughs> I don't think they understood what you were going for at all, if that's their feedback. 
Yeah. So I thought it might be a good fit for that audience, especially. But so um, after after that, I just, you know, uh, I didn't necessarily feel the uh, like taking on the, the the workload and the stress of running a steam green light campaign or something like that. So I was just like, you know what, I just want to get this out there. So uh, itch.io was a, a very easy way to do that. And, um, you know, at this point I've been optimizing for getting player feedback, you know, getting, just trying to play it. And um, so that's, it's been a, a, a good experience and, you know, a handful of people choose to pay for it, but um, it's, it's nice to not have that be a barrier for people to try it out and play it. That's a great philosophy. I like that. Playing Man has been out a couple of months now. It continues to be evolved. Uh, people can pick it up online. Can you remind us where to go to get updates about this game or to plunk down a dollar or not and try it out for themselves? The main page is playingman.com, and that has links to the walkthrough and the, the itch.io page and the, uh, the the soundtrack and also the, the version that's on Congregate. Yeah, and that's that's where you can go. And for those who don't want to download the game to their Mac or PC, they can play it right online in their web browser via Congregate, correct? Yeah, it does only work on Mac or PC because it uses the Unity web player. Uh, yeah, that's it's an option for uh, people who may not want to, to download it. Excellent. Well, Aaron Von Ley, thank you so much for giving us some time to talk about Plang Man. I've really enjoyed it. Like I said, it there aren't many people out there who have a fascination with both indie games and the Apple II. I think this game would appeal to anybody who has either of those interests, but for it, it to hit me with both of those was a real unexpected sweet spot. I've really enjoyed it. Great. Thanks so much for, uh, for having me on. This has been Indie Cider, a Game Bits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at IndieCider.net.